Hello and welcome to R3Sense, a podcast celebrating the finest video games of the last 30 years. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Games means games. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. The chapstick aficionado. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 84s. But before we do that, it's time for the quiz. For the quiz! For the quiz. The score is currently seven all. So let's see if one of you can creep ahead of the other. In Donkey Kong Country, for the SNES, a second player could join in as your sidekick named... Diddy Kong. Diddy Kong Racing. (laughs) 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 The correct answer, unfortunately, is just simply Diddy Kong. Minty gets the point. I don't don't even know where that came from. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know why I find that so funny. It's like when my mum panicked ordering at McDonald's and ordered McChicken McNuggets. <laughs> there we go. It is eight seven to Minty. Damn it! <laughs> oh, oh dear. So, what have we been playing this week? Is it? Same old, same old, Tetris 99, Dead Cells. I can tell you that I have played not much else other than Dead Cells, for it is still absolutely wonderful. I've been playing it through on hard mode now, trying to get the next boss cell, which increases the difficulty and increases uh, other things. It's a significant step up, but I was getting to the point now on normal mode where I was clearing a run pretty much every time, no matter what kind of build I was getting. So yes, I've almost, I got to the final boss once on hard mode, but I'll get there. I'll get there. But I, I did, I did manage to crowbar in a, a little, a little bit of playtime on a, on another game this week, which is the game Ape Out for Ape the Nintendo Out. Switch. Oh, lovely! So this is a new game by the team that made Hotline Miami, which is a very fast-paced, top-down action game. Ape Out is is a very, very simple concept. You are an ape, and you need to get out. Oh. Yeah, you are an imprisoned gorilla. You have two attacks. One is push, and so you can just throw enemies into each other or into walls. Uh, The other is grab, and you can grab an enemy and use it as a shield and and then throw him and kill him. (laughs) It is very, very straightforward. The art style is utterly phenomenal. It's incredibly bold, stark colours. It's the sort of game where if you looked at a still, you probably wouldn't know what was going on, but once you see it in movement... It's you really get into it, and it is. I mean, I've I've never seen anything like it yet. Absolutely stunning. Ooh. However, the art style, as phenomenal as it is, is not the most phenomenal thing about the game, which is this extraordinary free jazz style soundtrack. The soundtrack evolves as you play. So if you're in a room where it's a bit quiet, the drums will sort of ease off a little bit. If you're in the fray of action, it will really build up in complexity. Also, all your movements are timed to uh, cymbal crashes or drum fills. So, I mean, I, I've never played anything like that. Soundtrack-wise, it's very reminiscent of the film Birdman, yeah. which had fantastic jazz drum a soundtrack. And it means that no matter what you're doing, it feels satisfying because you've got this soundtrack playing along to what you're doing. So even if you're getting shot to bits, it's still really (laughs) satisfying because it all just matches up perfectly. Really, really good game. Really fun. Really hard, as was like Hotline Miami, but easily digestible, small chunks. It's quite cheap. I think it was only about 
12, 13 pounds, something like that. I highly recommend it. And hopefully at some point I'll be able to give a bit more time to it. Uh, if I can just tear myself away from, from Dead Cells. One day. Chris, what have you been playing? I've obviously played a lot of Tetris 99 still. Minty, uh, what I'm have you been playing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm up to 13 wins now. Wow. Uh, wow so so still trucking along. And I'm kind of get, getting better at reading. There's like, there's a, there's quite a deep sort of meta game to how you should be approaching it if you're actually playing to win. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm not very good at kind of the micromanagement of that yet, but it gives me something else to aim for because I think I'm, I'm quite good at Tetris, but obviously you still lose because you have these sort of random variables where you might have a big load of garbage blocks come at you at one time. Yeah. But there's, there's things you can do to kind of mitigate that and things you can do to sort of, you know, balance a risk reward thing, which I think is, it makes it a lot deeper a game than I think people gave it credit for. Uh, when it sort of started and then like you saying you played Ape Out I also today decided I would play something else so I wasn't just broken record talking about Tetris <laughs> until I die and I played a couple hours of Moto Racer 4 on the PS4 okay it is a bike racing game and it's really really average but it wasn't Tetris so <laughs> I can't recommend it but I can say it wasn't Tetris John's just googled it and the first results was Motocross 4, do not buy. <laughs> or Motor Racer, worst yeah. game of 2016. Yeah, apparently, according to this one YouTuber, problem after problem, the game gets worse. That's even before I get to the actual gameplay. Oh, oh dear. dear. Minty, what have you been playing? I've just started a new Link to the Past randomizer run. Ooh. But this one, I decided to take it a step further. And instead of just having all the items shuffled about and put in different chests, I decided we'd do that with all the keys as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So every chest now has a chance to have a small key in it. And a little dialogue will pop up saying, this is a small key for Desert Palace. Okay. So you have a key for Desert Palace. And that's just how it is for the entire game. So you might go to Desert Palace, you'll get stuck, open up a chest. Oh, there's a key, fantastic. But then it'll the dialogue will come up and say, this is a key for Skull Woods. Ah, but that's not that's no use to you in, in Desert Palace. Not at that point. No, <laughs> no. It's insane. Like it, Yeah, it sounds like it. Is the, it fun? Yeah. But then that's it is. Good. I thought just the vanilla item randomizer was enough to breed new life into mm. it. But this just takes it to a whole new level. It's like, I don't recognize the game I'm playing anymore. Link to the past. It's just a faded scrapbook of familiar set pieces you find in an abandoned shed. Have you been playing Tetris Effect again? <laughs> <laughs> Waxing lyrical about sheds. No. The Tetris Effect. So, moving on to the rankings, starting this week, we have my game. My 84th favourite video game of all time is an RPG. Lovely. Right. It's a big old game that I've played on a small old handheld. Oh. This is the 2015 port of Xenoblade Chronicles, and it's Xenoblade Chronicles 3D for the new 3DS. Lovely. I didn't have a Wii, so I was aware that Xenoblade Chronicles was a game on the Wii, mainly from when I worked in-game, and I would, you know, stack it on the shelves. It was the only game that I had to alphabetize under the X letter. And I remember that I totally disregarded the game because it came out around about the time when there was this big fad called Beyblades, the spinning top 
Oh, Game yes. Oh, jeez, yeah. Yeah, and oh, I, I thought it was one of those. I thought it was a, a, a Beyblade game. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, I mean, it's everywhere. And I just totally disregarded it. To be fair, the box art, doesn't it just have like the Monado blades just in the grass? Yeah. And which which basically looks like a Beyblade cover, just, you know, stylized in a slightly different way. So I, I can see what you mean. It wasn't until they announced the port for the new 3DS that it actually properly came to my attention. I don't know whether we've spoken about this before, but I, I know that something me and you, Chris, were always absolutely fascinated by was the technical capabilities of a console. Yeah. Even if a game wasn't that good, we would still probably try and get it if it was really technically advanced. Faceball 2000. Faceball 2000 on the Game Boy, the first person shooter. On the Game Boy? Have you not seen that? No. You, you have to look it up now, Minty. This is important. I mean, while, while he's looking up that, other, other Game Boy ones, like thinking about when we were younger, Metal Gear Solid would be in that camp. The cannon fodder port. I remember getting Alone in the Dark on the Game Boy, which yeah. was It was, a, it was a shocking game, but it looked amazing. And likewise, I remember on the Game Boy Advance, I think I had one of the V-Rally games that was yeah. full 3D, although it had the draw distance of a pencil. <laughs> I don't think it, even, it could barely even render the end of the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had like X versus Severin, all the uh, the first-person games on the, on the Game Boy Advance as well let's just wait for minty's reaction to facebook 2000 this is insane it's three frames per second but it's a first person shooter on the game boy nonetheless technically, technically it is that heavens above so i knew that i was probably going to end up getting xenoblade chronicles for the new 3ds so i could really test out the console's prowess but once i actually saw what this game was i was quite intrigued and i thought actually I, I always used to love rpgs the big sort of jrpgs growing up and this looks absolutely like one of them plus it was on a handheld plus you know it looked like it was going to really push the console's capabilities and it absolutely delivered not only was it technically i mean really ruddy impressive it was also a fantastic action rpg I remember the, the the concept that really sold me on it was this setup of the world and the fact that you were the world wasn't you weren't on a planet you were actually on the ancient bodies of two titans that were frozen in an eternal duel with each other, the Bionis and the Mechonis. And so, actually, all of civilization, all of the cities and all of the towns and everything was on the surface of these titans once you got to a certain point uh, you could start to see where that was and you'd be like oh yeah i'm on the titan's knee hmm. and that's where this city is and that was i just loved that i thought that yeah. was such a fun idea it was such a cool idea it did one thing that i've always been really interested in so there's obviously lots of open world games lots of games with big worlds you know you look at kind of the zelda games that have uh, you know got increasingly sort of bigger and bigger hub worlds like hyrule field or um, the great sea i've always loved the idea that you can see something in the distance that's really far away and you can go to it yeah i know that sounds really silly but it's obviously the polar opposite of v rally um, <laughs> where you saw you saw nothing <laughs> and you barely went there either <laughs> There's that, there's that funny joke, isn't there? It's like Nintendo says, you see that mountain? You can climb it. Activision says, see that mountain? Four ninety nine, and you can go there. Then BioWare <laughs> says, see that mountain? You can fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. And Blade had that feel to it where actually you could look down and you saw this giant sea below you mm. and 
if you jumped off, you would fall for minutes and land in the sea and there'd be enemies there. And obviously, I, I know that all this life isn't existing at the same time because obviously no, no computer can handle that. But the way it presented it was so that it really felt like that. And it felt like this world was constantly alive, no matter at what point you were in the world. A really good battle system, something that I hadn't really seen before. It fused a sort of real-time action battle system like you would get with, say, Zelda, with more of the strategic element of classic turn-based strategy games, which meant that your focus was more on tactical engagement than on actual combat. So you'd be... Basically, you had to put together the right sort of moves in the right order with the right complementing elemental characteristic coupled with the right sort of status effect that you would inflict upon the enemy. And you wouldn't have been able to have a full real-time combat system with that level of strategic play because it would have been impossible to try and do both at the same time. So I think the way that they created that was was brilliant. It was, I mean, phenomenally deep combat system as well. It does sort of throw you in at the deep end a little bit because it's so different to anything I'd, I'd experienced before. And it takes a little while to get your head around just actually how it works. Then it seems that every few hours it would add a whole other level of complexity to the battle system. <laughs> so you think you've got your head around it and then it's like, um, oh, no, by the way, there's now a system called tension where you've got some sort of... I can't even remember how that worked. I remember it being a thing. And it was just a whole other thing to consider. And then, like, I, I thought that, right, OK, I think I've got my head around everything. And then it introduced an element where your main character, Shulk, could get visions of the future. And so if the battle was heading for doom, all of a sudden Shulk would be like, ooh, I've got a Shulky feeling about this. Mm. And, <laughs> and you'd see it like 10 seconds into the future of you dying by what attack from what enemy uh, would allow you then to adjust your strategy accordingly to try and avoid that. And then so trying to keep all of those things juggling whilst also trying to create synergy across the different members of your team which would require like pinpoint accurate strategy it was incredibly difficult but it meant that when you did unleash like a phenomenally powerful chain attack stringing all of this stuff together then it was very satisfying oh yeah i mean very satisfying mm -hmm. the downside is because it's so complex it wasn't a game that you could put down for too long a period of time <laughs> certainly found that if i put it down for even a week i came back to it I'd have forgotten all the, the kind of nuance of that system. Like I said, it's not terribly accessible from that point of view. <laughs> it's not for newbies, I would say. When I played it, like I, we were probably talking to each other at the time, I can't remember, but I'm sure my cartridge now has like a 40-hour save on it. And then, like you say, I probably had a fortnight off because I was playing something else. And then it was just like, well, might as well put it in the bin then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's quite intimidating, and it was it was one of the reasons why I didn't end up getting around to getting Zenblade Chronicles X. Not because, I, you know, I thought I wouldn't be able to deal with it or it'd be too complicated, but simply because I knew I didn't have the time to really yeah, fully invest. It's a big commitment. It took me a couple of months before I ended up getting Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch because I knew I needed a significant amount of time to invest in it to get me started, to get back into how it worked, because, you know, that they added a billion other things to the battle system in that. And that's, that's a story for another day. Oh, is it? Maybe. 
The thing I loved about the game, most of all, was the story. The story really captivated me. It's full of quite over-the-top voice acting, but stuff that I absolutely loved. It did one of those things where it was like, right, we need to show that this world has diversity, so we'll bring in every single regional accent from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the scripting was very, very cheesy, but I loved it because it was, it, was, it was really earnest, but, mm. uh, but also really fun. The world was amazing. It had, uh, you know, very, very rich law uh, law. this is a, a law heavy game isn't it yeah i mean it really satisfied me that there's a, a function in the game called the collectopedia oh god i love it just pick shit up literally just index <laughs> everything <laughs> i loved that i mean and you would get bonuses for completing certain sets of certain items it was just and aside from that there was also phenomenally rich development of all the characters in the world because you would have like an affinity rating to show how your relationship between you and seemingly every single person in this world it's insane isn't it not just you but with some characters would have affinity with other characters yeah. which your actions would influence it was wow incomprehensibly big and deep and even though i put in probably over 100 hours mm. i only feel like i scratched the surface of it this is clearly a game that i absolutely love but there is a reason why it's lower down on the list than than other games partly because i didn't complete the game <sighs> All right, Minty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't complete the game for a couple of reasons. The main reason was that I ended up in a bit of a hole in the game and there's a point of no return that happens. Basically, I had to go up against the next big boss. I think it was possibly one of the final bosses, but I wasn't powerful enough to do it. Unfortunately, I passed the point where I could go and grind and level up in the most efficient areas because something had happened in the story that had shut off all of those areas. So it meant that the only place I could go to level up was significantly lower level than I was. Yeah. And you could play it for 10 hours just beating the hardest monsters in the area, the only areas I could get to, and you would barely even level up. Because I remember looking up online and saying, like, okay, obviously other people are going to have been in this situation as well. And people were like, no, that's it. You've just got just to knuckle down and do it. And I was like... <laughs> Go to work. I don't really have a problem with that, but it's not something you can do for that long a time. And like I said earlier, after I'd done that for 10 hours probably, I put it down because it's boring. And you think, oh, I'll pick it up again in a couple of weeks' time and I've forgotten how to play it. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore, the game was never completed. It's still a game that... I, I had a wonderful time playing. I'd certainly recommend it to, uh, to anyone else. So moving on, we have Minty Booth. Please, can you tell us about your 84th favourite video game? Last night, some friends and I were thinking about what our comfort foods are. I can only remember that Mrs Minty's is chips and mine is bread and butter. Ah. Good, wholesome, filling food. No nonsense. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. Good. Nothing like sitting back with a slice of bread just pissing with salted butter. <laughs> Maybe you have something to dip it in? Doesn't matter. Doesn't need it. This game, my 84th, is a fairly modern bread and butter game in a bread and butter genre. The 2D platformer. Ah. Very few bells and whistles, which is surprising given this company's commitment to utilising whatever silly shit they've got going on with their hardware. <laughs> I think it had a like a touchscreen capability where you could sort of poke a platform into existence, which was no help at all. Uh, as Jonathan found out when 
we tried the co-op of this game and you got visibly riled whenever I tried to help out by summoning a platform and breaking the flow of the game. I don't know what this is. It's new Super Mario Brothers U. Because <laughs> you were there with the Wiimote and I was there with the gamepad and I was like, oop, you're going to fall. And you went, don't do that. <laughs> it does sound like something I would do. Um, I have so few memories of this game because I remember I bought this during when we had Super Mario Maker and I was kind of like, I've played all of the levels I can possibly think of it that were just the most ridiculous things. And I was like, I need some, like you said, I need some solid bread and butter Mario levels. Yeah, it's a very uh, competent and strong platformer as Mario is known for. I got it on sale after 100%ing Super Mario 3D World. Lovely game. I need a fresh fix of wahoos and shrooms. <laughs> so I picked this up and pleasantly surprised. I hadn't played a new Super Mario Brothers game since the first one on the DS, which was that was, that was fine, wasn't it? Yeah, it was decent. Very decent. I used to play it with my friends uh, in sixth form. We Aww. used to do the VS mode, and uh, I became very unpopular because I was really good at it. So, sorry, everybody. But where are they now? Yeah, probably successful. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But this instalment is just great. The music's lovely. I like the like the little quirks that the enemies have. They sort of they'll be walking along, and then the music will go pa pa, and they'd sort of like be like hey, throw a little pose in time with the music. That's it. Yes, lovely. yes, very lovely. Nice lovely little touches. touch. Yes, it's 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 just really nice to look at as well. There's a particular level. It's it's world five four. An irregular time signature. <laughs> An irregularly designed level as well because it's done up to look like an impressionist painting. Ah. It was absolutely gorgeous. New Super Luigi U isn't in my top 100, but it was, I think it was probably the best example of DLC done right for me. I agree. It was enough content to be its own game, and it had a new spin that breathed life into the base game. And it was absolutely nails. Oh, yeah. It was so hard. It was yeah. very much the lost levels. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So you had Luigi with his sort of high jumps and his slippery... Uh... Slippery morals. Oh, yeah. From what I've heard. <laughs> it's always the tall ones, isn't it? It is. For those of you that don't know, you play as Luigi. He has slightly different physics. He's a bit slipperier than Mario, and he jumps a lot higher. But also... Every course now had a 100 second time limit, which made it uh, a bit more fast paced, a bit more frantic, but very satisfying as well. Mm, not unfair. Not unfair. No, no. It came in and it said, uh, this is this is what I'm about. And if you don't like it, you can go sit on a pine cone. You wish you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> Enough content to be its own game with a new spin that breathed life into the base game. Solid platformer, solid game. Thank you, Nintendo. Chris. Hello. What's your game? This is uh, a game that connects to your pick from a few weeks ago, Jonathan. Does it now? And when you were talking about your pick, it sort of made me start to reevaluate this one and think like, well, you know, what do I want to say about this? Because you've, you've covered a lot of things uh, when you talked about what was a sequel to this a few weeks back. Uh, because this is the original Portal. Hey! Or Portal, I think it was called Still Alive as like a subtitle when it got its own kind of Xbox arcade release. But it's really good. And I think we all know it's really good because you, you talked extensively on how really good <laughs> the, the sequel was. I mean, when I first played it, 
it's one of those games I think when wherever you were when you played it you, you wanted to tell someone about it because it was a short enough experience that you were like well someone else needs to play it and then we can talk about it so my first experience Gene our friend had, had played it himself he'd bought um, like the orange box for, for the Xbox played it through in an evening and then came around mine a couple of days later and then we played through it all again so I could see it and even though I'd never been kind of like a huge first person fan and would never have thought about kind of making a puzzle or like a spatial puzzle game based around first person controls it's really good and, and I think what it does and by the sounds of it what its sequel does well is you know for, to the same extent is that it takes what is the shell of a first person shooter essentially takes the vast majority of combat out but still uses the kind of I don't know what you call it like the codes and conventions of, of having a line of sight yeah that you do in, in a first person game to you know have all the gameplay and the puzzles around that set up so it's it's kind of when you started talking about it the other day and when I was thinking okay well I want to play the sequel I went back and, and played the original and it, it still really really holds up and I was kind of worried that it's like because I'd only had that one playthrough I didn't know if it was going to be a case of like well it's not really as funny as I remember or it's, it's not as well kind of paced as I remember or anything like that but it's it's still fantastic like mechanically aside from its sequel i think it still stands alone for that gimmick like the the kind of portal gimmick yeah it still looks really decent even though i'm playing you know it's essentially a 10 year old game almost because it's meant to be that clinical lab aesthetic it, it hasn't really aged as it would do if it was meant to be like a hyper realistic game and the writing's still really genuinely funny yeah and i was surprised like playing it through obviously in the last week or so it's really dry it's got like a sort of blackly comic humor to it but I think it works as being a funny experience because it's not like something like, say, uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, where the jokes are just because it's a bit crass and it's kind of it's all a bit puerile and it kind of makes you have a little giggle and that, that's it. This is like legitimately well written, uh, and I think the lines are pitched really well, and it's it's never kind of like over the top or in your face. It's kind of balanced really nicely, and I, I think what's great about it as well is that it's because it's short. I've got more and more into shorter games as I've got older just because I don't have time to to play big things. And it, it means that it's more, it's accessible in a way that means that you can get through a whole thing and feel like you've had almost like a filmic experience, even though it's a very active, engaged playthrough. And there's something I quite like about the idea that it, it has like a better sense of pacing because it is shorter. Whereas a lot of like big long games where you know you're going to play them for 50, 100, 150 hours, it doesn't have the same sort of narrative pull to keep you going. Whereas this being a much shorter experience with, you know, within that three hours, you, you have kind of like the setup, you have a twist, you have kind of like a satisfying ending and you get all that at a kind of a, a pace and speed that, I don't know, you take more from it maybe. It feels like it's, it's a narrative experience, even though the narrative is not the main part of it if that makes sense. Yeah. There's games when they get past a certain length, the developer doesn't have any control anymore over what you were going to see and when. Whereas a, a shorter experience, they know that even if you're stuck on a puzzle for a little bit of time, you might go away and come back. They can pace it so it's like, okay, but the story beats are going to happen here, here and here. And you're going to find this thing out here, here and here. And these jokes can sort of ring really true here. And it's kind of, you could map it out almost like a storyboard that I don't think you can when you have a much, much bigger game necessarily. Certainly not if you're looking at something more open world. I mean, yeah, exactly. with a shorter game, you can have a tighter kind of control over that experience from a developer's point of view. I think what works as well for, for that sort of idea, this shorter experience and, and those kind of more linear games, when uh, the Xbox Live Arcade was kind of getting bigger on the, on the Xbox 360, it was kind of defined by it had lots of like score chasing games, like classic arcade games. But also more and more developers were, were making these shorter experiences and they kind of sat side by side within that 
marketplace. And although Portal started life on the PC, I think it got a far bigger audience once it was ported as part of the Orange Box to the PS3 and the Xbox. Yeah. But I don't think it ever would have sold as well as it did if it wasn't kind of bundled in with obviously like Half-Life 2 and its its episode sequels. So even though it was this smaller experience that very few people would have grabbed at the time because you know the, the industry wasn't really there yet. I think to put it within that bundle in that context and that capacity was a real masterstroke and people then had access to something that they might not have played otherwise for me at least i, th- I think it's the best game in that collection interesting i know people kind of have real reverence for, for half-life 2 especially but it felt so different to its contemporaries that it it stands alone for me whereas you know half-life 2 does loads of things right it's a, a fantastic kind of like narrative first person shooter i think portal does more with kind of the form and like i said sort of exploring the the conventions of what a first person game is um that half-life obviously doesn't do the same way it also nails the comedy song uh, over its credits. <laughs> yeah, and it does. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not generally a huge fan of comedy music. Like, there's, there's exceptions, of course, like certain artists or certain musicians that do it well. But I think the credits music, the, the Still Alive song by uh, Jonathan Coulton, I think, did it. It's genuinely funny, really, really funny. Yeah. So, yeah, Portal still holds up. Go and play it. It's a good game. And that wraps it up for another week. Three more games we had. Xenoblade Chronicles 3D. We had new Super McMario Brothers U. And Portal. Marvellous. If you've enjoyed this episode, or indeed any of the episodes, please do leave us a five-star rating. Share us with your friends. Share us on social media. Like us. You can find our Facebook page, Our Three Cents. If you want to get in touch with us individually, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm still on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. Will a reply to you be my second tweet? (laughs) (laughs) At Minty Booth. Please do join us again next week for our number 83. Good boy!